The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm shakes at the mention of his name he has power over life and death every knee will bow and tongue confess heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father will you bow will you Surrender to his majesty, he can save you from the might of all your sin. This is the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath. You have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come From the coming storm 
while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm You know your ways. You know where you like to go. You know what restaurants you like to eat in. You know your favorite parks. You know that you're going to go to work. You know you're always going to do certain things, respond in certain ways. If you don't know, your wife or your husband is quite sure they know how you will respond. You know your ways. But do you know God's ways? God's ways are very different than my ways. Or from your ways. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I pray today that the Lord will open our eyes, that we would come into agreement with God's ways, and we would turn aside from our ways. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that as we come now to the study of your word, that you would make it absolutely clear to us whether we are following your way or our way. And if we're following our way, I ask that you do whatever it takes to turn us aside from our ways, that we would walk only in your ways, regardless of what that cost might be. Lord, please come and open our eyes and our hearts and our minds in the name of Jesus. Amen. Moses was 80 years old. He was called by God to go back and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Problem? The children of Israel are quite used to their life of slavery. They've been there a long time. They have slowly worked out a relationship with Pharaoh and his slave drivers. They know what to expect. And frankly, they have become quite accustomed to being slaves. But now God hears some as they cry out for God to come and deliver them. Some are crying out in sorrow as their children are killed, their babies are thrown in the Nile. 
and God sees that the time on the prophetic time clock has been fulfilled 400 years. And now it's time for God to bring his nation out of Egypt. And so he calls Moses. When they hear that the Lord is concerned about them, that he has seen the unjust treatment they have received, when they begin to understand that God intends to do something about this, they bow down before the Lord and they worship him. Now Moses and Aaron do as the Lord instructs them, and they go to Pharaoh, and they say to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh answers, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. They argue with Pharaoh, but he is firm. He will not release them. He is going to keep his slaves. Now, I want us to see something that is going to be disturbing for some of you. I want you to see that the same ways of God happen over and over in the scriptures. But in this instance, Pharaoh responds in a normal evil way to this command of God. In verse 5, this is Exodus 5, verse 5. Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and they are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave the order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. That's a standard answer of the devil. When you decide to get serious about Jesus, Now, many of you who are listening to this broadcast care about Jesus. You care about the Christian faith. But in reality, as the research indicates from George Barna, almost all Christians in America love the same things the world loves. Lifestyle is basically the same. They spend their money the same way. They go to the same places for recreation. They go to the same bars. They go to the same places and do the same things as the world does. Now, if Jesus is going to come and call us as a church in America into revival, 
there is going to have to be a dramatic change in the way we spend our time, our money, and our energies. And now, instead of saying, I'm too tired to go to church, I'm too tired to go pray, I have other things I need to do, instead of that, your whole attention is going to be focused on what does God want from me? And how do I begin to walk in that? But what brings about that change? Painful difficulty. Painful difficulty. As soon as a man or a woman says in their heart, I am going to serve Jesus Christ, no matter what it costs, I'm going to serve Jesus. That person is facing a bitter attack from the enemy. And times are going to become very difficult for that person. And if it doesn't become difficult quickly, it'll come in degrees so that that person will finally say, I better not go here. I better not do that. I don't have have time to do that. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think about this commitment to Jesus. One young man that I spoke with, he said, I don't think God is fair. I want to follow him, but he makes everything harder. When I decided to follow him, my life became very painful. Why? I thought when I came to follow Jesus, my life would smooth out and I would have those things I need for livelihood, a job. He had just lost his job. He was on the edge of losing his housing. Things were becoming very painful for him. He said, the devil's telling me it's because I'm trying to follow Jesus, that I'm being very foolish and I need to turn away and stop. Just go back and live your normal life. I said, yep, that's his standard ploy. When you decide you're going to honestly and seriously pursue Jesus. Now, please hear me. Some of you are very religious people, but you don't seriously obey the word of Jesus. When was the last time you read carefully the Sermon on the Mount? The Beatitudes and the whole Sermon on the Mount. And then said, okay, I will obey everything Jesus has told me to do in this Sermon on the Mount. Because it is the manifesto of the New Testament church. Have you read it? Are you willing to walk in obedience to everything you find there? Oh, I know. One man, a very famous preacher, if I identify the name, you would instantly know him. He says, that Sermon on the Mount is not for the people today because it's impossible. It's for the millennium. And then the church will walk in the Sermon on the Mount. Wrong. How about wrong? No, it's for today. As you read the New Testament and you hear, do this and do this and do this, do you do it? 
No, we live a, a comfortable lifestyle in America. And I can tell you now, God is in the process of doing to the American church the same thing he did to the children of Israel. It is his intention to take the church out of the world and cause us to no longer touch any unclean thing. And he intends to do that. Sexual sin is part of what Paul identifies in Romans, the first chapter, that will become very flagrant. Every kind of unclean thing will happen. And perhaps you've been taught, young man or young woman, that masturbation is not sin. Yes, it is. God directed that sexual activity be between a husband and a wife only not between yourself and yourself, and not sodomy, and not oral. Pardon me, I have to speak very plainly to you. The Holy Spirit is going to say, stop. Don't do this wickedness anymore. And then lying, protecting yourself with a lie, being cowardly, not stepping forward and doing what you know God has called you to do, not walking steadily in the spirit, but bouncing here and there, always on the move, always discontented, never happy, always concerned, always fretting, always filled with anxiety. That's not the life of Jesus Christ. That's a life of a person who is refusing to obey because God's way is not their way. So what happens? Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention. So suddenly, something will come up and you're supposed to be working on Sunday morning or you're supposed to be working on Thursday night. You can't come to Bible study. You can't come to to church. It's too far away. It's too inconvenient. I can't drive that far. Are you kidding me? One man I spoke with when my pastor was alive, when my father in the faith was alive, David Wilkerson at Times Square Church, This man would get up early, early in the morning on Sunday morning, and he would drive from Frederick, Maryland to New York City to go to the Times Square Church because that's where God called him. And then after church with his family, his wife and children, they would drive from New York City back to Frederick, Maryland to their home. And you say, whoa, how could he do that? Because it was God's way. God wanted him to do that. He listened to the Spirit, and he went where Jesus sent him. I spoke with a dear brother this morning. The devil wants to cause him to jump here and there and do this and do that. I said, no, 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 stop. Wait on the Lord. Rest in him. 
Yeah, but what about my family? What about this one? What about that one? Forget about them. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Their salvation is in the hands of Jesus, and he will direct you regarding what you are to do and what you are to say. Stop taking charge of your life and let Jesus be in charge. Hardship. So the children of Israel, the men, they're beaten when they don't produce the required number of bricks going out to try to hustle and find the straw that they use in the brick making. So they go to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. And the Israelites realize that they are in trouble when they are told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. And when they found Moses and Aaron waiting for them, they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Please, you understand you cannot follow Jesus and have everyone in the world loving you you are going to become a stench to those demon filled men and women who do not like what you say or what you do when you say no I'm sorry I disagree with sexual perversion No, I'm not going to wave that flag. No, it's wrong. Transgenderism is sin against God. I'm not going to go along with it. I'm not going to shut up about it. It's wrong. There are rights and wrongs in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, are you going to go with what is right in the kingdom of God and please Jesus, or are you going to keep your mouth shut and go along to get along? And if God is going to call you out of the stench of the world, he's going to make you a stench to the world. Now, I can tell you this very plainly. A lot of people don't like this broadcast. And they tell me, they let me know, is that okay? Yes, I don't want to be accepted by the world. I don't want to have a grand following of people who are filled with darkness. I want to see those people transformed. I want to see trouble in their lives so that they would turn away from Pharaoh, turn away from the devil, and seek the face of Jesus. But I know people, oh, they want that woman, that pagan woman. They want that pagan man. And they're going to go after him and they're going to have a good time. They don't like to be lonely. They don't want to be a stench to those people who they want the approval from. Are you kidding me? 
So you're asked to do something dishonest at work and you say, okay, I'll roll over. I have to have a job after all. Right. You want to smell sweet to the world and be a stench in Jesus' nostrils. And his judgment will come upon you. So here's the the children of Israel, like a million people. They're being severely mistreated now. Men are being beaten. They are a stench in Pharaoh's nostrils. They are angry with Moses. Don't tell us this this stuff anymore, Moses. We want to serve Pharaoh. We don't want to be a stench to him. We want him to treat us kindly. All right. Here's the problem, though. They gave themselves to the Lord God of heaven. And God is now going to claim what is his. That's why I pray for some people. Lord, arrest them. Stop them in their tracks. Turn them aside from this course of action. Call them to yourself. Make them a stench to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. Don't let them go in that comfortable church where they know the... the. The atmosphere is dead. It is flesh. There's nothing holy in it. Don't let that person go in there and everybody fawn over them and say what a wonderful person they are because of the money they put in the offering plate or the the way they play at the band or the way they do this or that. Lord, stop them. I pray, Lord. Let your will be done in their life just as your will is done in heaven. You see, when when God begins to call his people out of the world, he begins to cause great dissatisfaction between their heart and the world. And he begins to cut off the favor of the world as he begins to pour out his favor. Whose favor do you want Do you want God's favor or do you want the world and the world's friends? Do you want their favor? Who do you want to have loving you? Do you want the world to love you or do you want Jesus? You can't have both. Now what God does is is very interesting. And I'm going to tell you now, I will show you this week, God is going to do the same thing to his church that he did to the children of Israel. And the effect will be to make many very, very angry. But it will also cause the remnant to rise up and say, I want Jesus no matter what the cost, and I will serve him. We come now in Exodus, the sixth chapter, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. 
Oh, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. But the children of Israel would not even listen to him because they were so discouraged, because the bondage was so cruel. Now, please, please hear me when I say this. God is going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, whether they want to come or not. God is going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, whether they want to come or not. How? He is going to bring about circumstances that will be so excruciatingly painful in their lives. He is going to take from them every ounce of comfort that they have. He is going to make them physically and emotionally miserable so that they will finally say, we have got to get out of here. We don't belong here anymore. Those of you that God will choose to make so miserable that you can no longer stand yourself in the world, the flesh or the devil, are the ones he intends to save. And he will bring you out of the world. He will establish you in holiness and righteousness. And that's what we call revival, where he begins to show people the absolute wickedness of their hearts. He begins to show them their sin and their cooperation with the devil. And he will put in the hearts of his people an absolute sickening turning away because they can't stand the devil for another moment. And the devil's going to do everything he can to stop God from rescuing you. You're going to have to be still and know that God loves you. And he's going to bring you out. He's going to rescue you. And it is the work of God. It is not flesh. It's not something you have to do. It's not something you can do. It's something God does. If I haven't said this to you recently, please let me say it. The work of salvation is God's work. It's not by works. It's by faith in the blood of Jesus. And it's faith that works. It's faith that regenerates you. It's faith that totally changes you into the likeness of Jesus. So, we find in chapter 7, God's plan of action. Now, I'm going to show you this week God's plan of action to do the same thing to you. It's it's not going to be pleasant, and you're not going to like what I'm going to show you, but I'm going to show you. 
your life as a comfortable American is over. You may not know that yet, but it is over. The devil is coming to set up his one world government. I just saw a notice. Starbucks nationwide is going to go completely cashless. They are right in league with the one world government and the rising Antichrist. Well, I'm not going to buy into their cashless deal. And I pray you won't either. Chapter 7, God's plan of action. The Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. This is verse 2 now. Exodus 7, 2. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let Israel's Israelites go out of his country. And then he begins to talk about all the things he's going to do. And Moses and Aaron go and they demonstrate their power before Pharaoh that was necessary so that Pharaoh would not just kill them, but recognize that they had supernatural powers. That's why the snake, the staff was thrown down and the staff of Moses and Aaron that was called God's staff swallowed up the staffs of Pharaoh's servants. Now, if you've ever watched a mouse swallowed by a snake, it is not a slow process. It took some time, and they watched fascinated while this went on. And then Moses took a hold of the tail of the snake that was his staff, and it turned back into a staff. And then he warns them, I'm going to turn the water of the Nile into blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the uh, reservoirs that they may turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. And blood was everywhere in Egypt. Now the Egyptian magicians did the same thing and they brought even more blood. Now, what would happen in your life if you turned on the spigot of your faucet and blood ran out. Yeah, Ugh. I'd hate it. Would you drink it? Of course not. What if you went in the refrigerator to get the bottle of water you put in there or the stored water you had and it had all turned to blood? Now, please understand, this happened to the Egyptians, but it also happened to the children of Israel. So now the children of Israel don't have any water to drink. And they're working out in the hot sun. What are they going to do? Well, the scriptures tell us they had to go down and dig beside the Nile 
and fresh water came forth. It was very inconvenient. It took a lot of extra time. And no doubt, they did not produce the demanded quota of bricks because nobody in Egypt could work very much in the hot sun when they had no water to drink. God totally disrupted their whole economic system. Oh, wait a minute. What's God doing to 40 million people out on the West as he dries up the reservoirs of Lake Mead, the Colorado River, as he brings huge trouble to California that is so against God? God is moving. We'll talk more about that later. The first thing God strikes in Egypt is the water. And I'm telling you now, God is striking the water of the earth. In one place, it's flooding. Pakistan, over a thousand people have died in the floods. In other places, it's flooding. Now they're saying the Mississippi River is going to flood. And people are being told, move out. Vacate your homes. It's going to flood. One of the first things God did to make his people uncomfortable in Egypt was to remove their water. Now, he took it from the Egyptians also. But I want you to note that God's plagues begin to fall on Egypt, but they fall on the children of Israel also. Why? So that they will become so uncomfortable and so miserable that they'll want to leave Egypt. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses in chapter 8, verse 25, Go to Pharaoh, say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. This is what God wants today. God is going to bring plagues on America and on the American Christian. Because he wants us to come out and worship him and acknowledge his authority over us. He says in verse 2, If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens, and kneeling troughs, kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you, and your people, and all of your officials. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams, and canals, and ponds, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land. Okay, God says, let the magicians of Egypt help me make the people miserable. 
Let them multiply the judgment that I'm going to bring upon them. Do you understand yet? God is moving to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, representing the world. He is bringing the children of Israel out of the world and into the desert where men die. But the children of Israel are not going to die. The world says you have two choices. You can serve Pharaoh. You can live according to the world's standards and their demands. Or you're going to die. You're going to starve to death. You're going to have no house to live in. You are going to be stripped bare of everything. No, there's another choice. It's not serve Pharaoh or die. It's serve Pharaoh, die, or serve God. Which will it be? Well, if you have lived very long, you know that the devil is not a very kind God. You know he is a liar, a cheater, a thief, a murderer. There's nothing good in him or about him. He is the epitome, the absolute epitome of evil, of fornication, of abuse, of, of murdering children, of abusing children, of killing babies. This is his style. This is what he loves. He loves murder and violence and mayhem. So the people must choose. And the frogs come into their homes. Frogs are dirty things to be in your house. They look great out on the pond singing their songs. Just stay there. But to come into your house and and you open your bed and there's a bump in there and it's a frog and he's made a mess in your bed. He's jumping on your dining room table and your kitchen table and the frogs are eating your food. The frogs are chasing your cat or your dog. A dog doesn't want to bite in a frog. They don't taste good to a dog. They have poison skin. Now, Pharaoh, he is disgusted. Get these frogs out of here. So Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and says, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave it to you, the honor of setting a time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, he should He should have said, now, pray right now. Now, do it tomorrow. Then we'll know it wasn't by accident. Please, there are no accidents with God. There is no chance with God. 
There's no fate with God. He is a God who is conscious and aware, loving and caring, and he will determine when things will happen. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that they may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. And they said, ah. And I'm sure they breathed a great sigh of relief. But God was not going to let them go so easily. And he was not going to let the children of Israel go so comfortably. The frogs were not going to go hopping out of their homes and down to the Nile. No. Moses cries out to the Lord about the frogs. And the frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. So God first takes the water from the children of Israel. He makes it blood. Then he brings frogs into their homes and they're totally unclean. And then they all hear, tomorrow the frogs will be gone. The word passed. The frogs are going to be gone. The frog, we can go back to normal living. No, you can't. They're going to be a stench in your nostrils. So they collect them and they, I mean, can you see some young boy out collecting the frogs, not even wanting to touch them, piling them in a pile and they begin to stink in the sun. This was a stinking mess. So he takes their water and now he pollutes their air and he pollutes their homes. Do you understand? God intends to do whatever he has to do to make the children of Israel so miserable in their loyalty to Pharaoh that they will want to leave. And you remember... I read back here. Let me turn back to it very quickly. It's a very telling statement. Oh, let me find it quickly for you. It's in the fifth chapter of the book of Exodus. Um, let me read it for you. Verse 15, then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Well, their self-identity is as slaves of Pharaoh. That's who they are. And God is saying, no, you're not the slaves of Pharaoh. You are my servants. I claim you for myself. How do you identify yourself? Are you a slave of your job? Are you a servant of your job? Are you a servant to your pagan friends? What's your identity? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ and you boldly proclaim it wherever you go? I belong to Jesus Christ. Well, God is in the process of bringing about in your life, 
even as he brought about in the life of the children of Israel such circumstances that they were utterly miserable and had to change their loyalty from Pharaoh to the great God, the I Am, to the Lord. So they have the frogs. And then in the eighth chapter of Exodus, verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats or insects, all kinds of insects. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. Gnats, lice. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. And when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen just as the Lord had said. Uh-oh. Now the children of Israel. The stench of the frogs is almost gone. And now they're covered with gnats. You know, gnats bite. You've been bitten by gnats. Buzzing around your head, buzzing here and there. You can't get rid of them. How do you swat them? The lice getting in your hair. Filthy, dirty. This is what happened to the children of Israel so that God could cause them to be so upset that they said, we've got to get out of here. We don't have water to drink. It's turned to blood. Look, the frogs are in our beds. They're in our kitchens. They're defiling everything. They're making everything unclean. And now their personal bodies are unclean with the gnats and the lice. Their skin is crawling. They hate it. Their comfortable life in Egypt as slaves. I speak with hyperbole. They are done. They want out. Now, the Egyptians are still going to get the flies and the insects. The, the livestock will die. The boils will come. None of this is going to touch the children of Israel. Hail and lightning will come and destroy all the crops. The locusts will come and, and eat everything. Darkness is going to come over the face of the earth. And the eldest son is going to die because they are not covered by the Pesach of God, the covering wing of Jesus. The Lord is going to spare the children of Israel, many of the plagues, even as at the end of time, Christians are going to be spared many of the plagues that will come upon the earth in the wrath of God against unrighteousness. But let's be very clear. 
You're not going to get a secret whisking away in some secret rapture. That's nowhere to be found in scripture. Is there a rapture? A catching up? Yes. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Oh, my brother, my sister. You want to follow Jesus? You're going to face a very dangerous time. Is it worth it? Oh, yes. For I love Jesus. His is the sweetest name I know. And I will be for eternity grateful for his saving me from this wicked world. Well, we're out of time for today. I want to thank each one of you who has helped us cover the cost of radio for this month. Radio is paid for for the for the month. We have one more day. I'm very grateful for the way you've stepped in. Some of you have not. I pray that God will move in your hearts. I love you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I'll talk to you soon. Joy with great joy Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with